As we turn this morning over into James, we continue talking about a man named James. In the book of, of James, that we know that James was one of the apostles of, of Christ that followed him there for his ministry while he was on earth. We know that, that he walked with him, talked with him, learned from him. And that now here he is over the church of Jerusalem. He's really one of the main figures for Jewish Christians that learn from him, that listen to him, that he's really helping guide the ship, really, for those early Christians in the Jewish faith that are converting into Christianity even though that's not what it was called at that point. They were converting to follow Christ as the Messiah. And here we see he's writing this book specifically to them as they are kind of on the run. They're under persecution. They're spreading out to different communities. Some of them are isolated. There's just a few of them in in towns on the far reaches of the area at that point. And, And he's wanting to reach out to all of them to give them some wisdom, some understanding, to relay to them some of the things that Christ has taught him while he was walking with him on this earth. And what the Holy Spirit had led him led him to teach them. And here we see, we're going to go into James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. So let's understand, as, as James is, is writing to the, the Jewish people, writing to early Christians, writing to people of the faith that believe, that are trying to follow him, that are trying to be faithful, trying to be the Christians, the followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, that they should be. He is pointing out things, maybe some places that they're failing, maybe some places that they're struggling, maybe some places that they could do better, some edification to strengthen and uplift them. So he's talking to these early believers, these people that are trying to follow Christ, so we can relate to that, right? We're, we're Christians. We're, we're trying to follow him faithfully, to, to be men and women of God. So here's what he is writing here in James chapter 4. Verses 1 through 10, as we speak today on faith and humility. Amen? Faith and humility. Faith is a really key principle throughout all of what James is writing. Um, we'll see how it ties in with humility here in just a few moments. But it says, so four, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not. Because ye ask not, ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Enmity just means they're in combatant, they're, they're fighting, they're, not, they're opposites, they just don't gel. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the enemy, lusteth the jealousy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you. You up. Man, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Here in just a minute, we're going to look at the first five verses again. Amen. But we're going to talk about how self leads to problems. Amen. Self leads to problems. So those first five verses again read like this. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that warn your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have. And cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume in upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world 
is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Amen. I want you to understand, what's this Scripture saying? Is that problems oftentimes come from our selfish desires, right? That's what it's saying here. Lust can be very easily just replaced with desire. Your desires are what causes wars and fights. Ye lust and have not, so ye kill, because ye desire to have it, and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. And the reason you ask and you still receive it not because why are you asking? You're asking to miss because you just want to consume something of your own desires. You just want to have it. You're thinking of what you want, what you desire. What causes problems, according to James, is my wants and my desires, right? I want you to think and understand. Anytime you've had any kind of relationship, friendship, marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend, you don't have to be in that too long to realize that there has to be some kind of give and take, right? If you go through your whole marriage and everything is what you want, guess what? That's not a very healthy marriage. If every time you go out to eat, one of the other parties gets to choose... And guess what? That other person's, that there's something going on underneath there, right? If every time, you know, something's chosen, one person gets to choose it, one friend always chooses what you do, one spouse always chooses where you go, one person always chooses, you know, everything that's going on, then guess what? It causes warring, conflict, problems, fighting, issues. That's what James is talking about. It's not just in marriages and relationships, though we understand that it's definitely parent there, but in friendships, relationships with co-workers, with the boss and you, with anybody. When you're in the store, right? When you go to the store and everybody's wanting what they want, right? That's why on Black Friday, before you could go and shop online, people were getting run over and crushed by doors because everybody was looking for what they wanted, what my desire is. I'll get what I want. I'll get what I think I need. I'll get what I desire, and I won't care about anything else. I'll put me first. Self leads to problems. And there's, that's a truth that, that no matter what you say or how far you look or how deep, how many things you read about, people you talk to, you'll always come back to that point in understanding self, selfishness, pride, thinking of what you want and only what you want will always lead to problems. Especially in your relationship with God. If it's always about what I want from church, there'll be problems. If it's all about what I want from God, there's going to be problems. If it's always about what I want from a situation, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be angry. You're going to get mad. You're going to fight. You're going to war. You're going to kill. You're going to covet. You're going to do all these things because of your desires. Your desire, your lust to consume it for yourself. And it causes destruction and problems when you only are focused on you, 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 you. Me, 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 me. That's a destructive and attaining mindset that is nowhere within Scripture supported by any means, fashion, or form. Quite the opposite is what we find in Scripture. Of selflessness, of giving and giving and giving. A generous being is what God desires for us. Yet if we are selfish... Self leads to problems. Think about this. I, I like thought experiments, right? And used to, I'd just spend, it would just get me in trouble. Because I'd think about this, think about this, think about this, and I'd just end up going down a rabbit hole and end up somewhere I didn't mean to go on and just be, you know, all kinds of crazy. But think about this. 
If you got everything you wanted, what would the world look like? Right? If you got everything you wanted, what would the world look like? Every time Powerball or not jackpot gets high, I begin to think, what if I had that much money? <laughs> right? You know, what if somebody just handed me a billion dollars? You know, and I like to think, well, I will do good with that, right? We build this, and I'd do that, and we'd help this when we set up, you know, whatever charities and scholarships and do all that. And no doubt there would be some good done. But if everything I wanted happened, the world would not be a great place. That's the honest truth of reality. Because at my core, I am flesh, right? I'm made of flesh. I'm made of a sinful nature. My spirit is always warring with the flesh. And if I have the ability to do and have and obtain and get whatever I wanted, it would go down a bad path really quick, right? It would lead to greed. It would lead to power hungriness. It would lead to me thinking I'm better than everybody else. So then I would stop caring about everybody else. It would lead to me not need, not desiring to have a relationship with God. Because guess what? If I've got all the money I need, then why do I need God? Right? It begins to make those things. The enemy begins to attack you with that and bring you down with that. And you begin to make decisions that you shouldn't make. Because ultimately, probably most of us, if we had everything that we wanted, if we asked for something and it was there instantaneously, it might start small. Right? I'd probably ask for a... I like a, a Dave's single, probably a Dave's double. I probably do that one with bacon. We might just do the baconator, right? That's a pretty good one. It starts small. We get the baconator with the fries and whatnot, and a milkshake, and it began to expand very quick, wouldn't it? Right? Then we'd want a bigger car, a bigger house, this and that. We'd always want more and more and more and more and more. And then we get to a point where we couldn't have a bigger house. So what do we want? Well, well, then maybe I'll need power. Maybe I need people to worship me. Maybe I need people to think highly of me. Maybe I need people to look at me and be like, oh, he's amazing. He's awesome. And I want that. And I want to get it. And then it's not enough. And I want more and more and more. And it leads to down this destructive path of boring, of fighting, of not wanting anybody, not wanting to help anybody, not wanting to be good. Because this flesh begins to want more. And more and more. If you're always focused on what you want and getting what you want and having what your thoughts above anybody else's and your opinions above anybody else's and what and, and you getting the final say so, that is destructive. James starts out this chapter, he's saying, Listen, guys. He understands, right? These are people that are in this new faith. They're still figuring some things out. They're spreading out very quickly. There's not really strong leadership everywhere that they're spreading out to. There's questions. There's concerns. There's thinking about what's going to go on. Do they send money back? Do they, do they take up things and then help with the local people? What all do they do? What are they supposed to do? And he's saying, hey, don't just be focused on what you want. Don't just be focused on what you think. Don't just be focused on what's important to you. Because he said that leads to the fighting and the quarreling and the messing up and the mistakes and the all kinds of evil that comes from that. He says, don't just think about you. Because self will always lead to problems. Amen. Self will always lead to destruction. I am a destructive force of nature when I let myself run, run over everything else and just take control. I am going to hurt people and I'm going to mess people up and I'm going to mess families up and situations up and lives up when all I care about is me. And I do whatever I have to do to get what I want. I will do things that I would be ashamed of and that are not good. And that's the same for any of us. 
because the flesh doesn't care. The flesh doesn't care about anything else. The flesh doesn't care about those that are hurting. The flesh doesn't care about those that are grieving. The flesh doesn't care about being a good witness, about showing the love of Christ, about helping those in need, about being the hands and feet of Jesus. The flesh just don't care. And it won't care for anybody else. The flesh will only care about itself. We have to fight that. We have to stand against that. We can't let that rule us. We can't let that dictate us. We can't let that make decisions for us. We have to oppose the flesh. Because the flesh and self will lead to problems. So the other side of that. James is really good. I, I, I love James and how he's always looking at these dichotomies. He's looking at one side of the coin and the other side of the coin. So if self leads to problems, well, there has to be another side of that coin, right? And that's that God leads to revival. God leads to renewal, rejuvenation, life, hope, peace, all these things. That is what God leads to. So let's read the rest of that scripture again. Verses 6 through 10 reads like this. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So there he's talking about humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. When I read that, the first verse that just really jumps out is verse 9. That's what we have underlined there. Verse 9 seems counterintuitive just at face value. Right? But let's understand the context of what James is talking about. He is saying and telling these young Christians, these young followers of God, this new system of faith and belief uh, that are following Christ's disciples, is saying, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Does that sound like a Christian scripture for how we view Christianity? Probably not. Probably not. We might think it's the other way. Let's read it this way. This is what we think. Right? We think James just got it mixed up. Right? Or, or maybe Jacob got a Bible that was a bad print. And it's, it was mixed up in the typewriter or whatever. Right? They don't use typewriters anymore. Even though they're, they're fun. They click, 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 click. That's nice. Right? But no. This is what the scripture says. But we think it might say, turn your heaviness to joy. And your mourning be turned to laughter. Weep not, mourn not, and be not afflicted. That's how we think that should be written. That's how we think the Christian scripture should be laid out. Because that's what we expect, right? That's not what it says. It says, be afflicted. Afflicted means to be wounded, right? And mourn. That means to be sad. And weep. That means to cry. Turn your laughter and turn into mourning and your joy to heaviness, to burden, to weight. Why does he say this? What James is trying to communicate to these followers of Christ is a principle that the modern church has completely absconded from, mostly completely forsaken. What James is saying, when given the choice of personal pleasure, laughter, and joy, 
We give you the choice between personal pleasure, your desires, your wants, what makes you happy, and and the cross. He says, always choose the cross. Even if the cross sometimes may bring burden, even if the cross sometimes may bring pain, even if the cross sometimes may bring uncomfortableness, it may bring some anxiety, may bring some hardship, may bring some difficult season in your life. Choose the cross. When choosing between what you want and where the cross is leading you, choose the cross. If that means that you will be afflicted, be afflicted for the cross. If it means that you will mourn some things, mourn some things for the cross. If it means you're going to shed some tears, shed some tears for the cross. Spend some time in mourning for the cross. Take on that burden for the cross. When it becomes the cross and what you want, we need to choose the cross. Because Jesus chose the cross. He said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, Father, but let thine be done. Personal pleasure, to live. Just the bare minimum of what we think pleasure would be would just be to live in the cross. And Jesus chose the cross. Jesus chose the cross. It's not always pleasant. and will sometimes mean that you're choosing something that you don't enjoy. That may be difficult over something that that brings you great happiness. Something that we've misconstrued is is that the Bible, Christianity, a relationship with God is supposed to make you happy. That is nowhere in the Bible. We can have joy in in, in the Lord in knowing who He is. When it talks about that, be happy in the Lord. Find joy in the Lord. That's how it's always referred to. It doesn't just talk about worldly happiness. It's saying happiness in the Lord. We live in this culture and society that says, "Do, do what makes you happy. Do what makes you feel good. Do what you enjoy. Do what brings you thrill, excitement. Do that. That's not scriptural or biblical in any fashion or form. If Jesus would have done what he would enjoy, guess what? He wouldn't have died on a cross. If Peter would have done what he would have enjoyed, he, he wouldn't have died on a cross. right? If John would have done what he would have enjoyed, he wouldn't have been boiled alive and then sent to the Isle of Patmos and sat there for years and years and years in isolation and, and pain and suffering every day if he would have chose what he wanted, what made him happy. Because guess what? I bet he wasn't happy with bulls on his skin from the oil that had burned him. But he chose the cross. I like a shirt. <coughs> it always comes up on my Facebook thing. I'm like, man, I want to buy that. But they don't have big boy sizes, right? So, um, And it says, it has do what makes you happy. And then it has happy marked out. And it says do what makes you holy. That's the principle that James is teaching these followers of Christ. Doing what makes you happy. He's, that's what he's saying. Let's go back. Here, let's go back real quick. Right there. He's saying, this is what happens when you do what makes you happy. Wars and fighting and killing. That's what happens when you do what makes you happy. So he says, don't do that. Let's go on from that. Push away from that. Forsake that. Because we've seen the end result of that. I, I don't know the quote, but isn't it, isn't it called insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result? Right. 
If you constantly, constantly choose what you want, and it always leads to destruction, how insane do we have to be to not try something different? To not choose the cross. Let's just see what happens. You can always go back and do what you wanted to later, but see where the cross leads you. See where it takes you. Choose the cross. Now, verse 8 and 10, it did change. There's different lines. Verse 8 and 10 tells us what happens when we choose the cross. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Humble yourselves. Humble. It's not saying I'm nothing and I'm worthless. That's not what humility is. Humility is saying... Something is above me, right? And that thing that is above me is God. That's what he's talking about. Being humbling ourselves means taking ourselves off our own thrones and letting God sit there. That's what when God says be humble, that's what He means. He's not saying make a mockery of yourself, put yourself down, beat yourself up, point out all your flaws and failures, and kick yourself all the time. He's just saying, give me the seat. Let me have the let me have the seat. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Revival is a big buzzword right now, right? Um, we talked a little about it at Sunday school. But um, up in Kentucky, in Wilmore, Kentucky, um, at Asbury College, college or university, I guess it's university, um, revival broke out. Two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, maybe, um, where they were just during continuous worship, basically, right? Short periods of breaks sometimes, but just continuous worship and lifting up the Lord. I have friends that, that went to school there, that are in school there. Some are even helping with um, some of the worship and some of the things there. Um, and revival's big, right? We, we hear it, we're seeing it on Facebook all the time. We're talking about revival more the past couple weeks than maybe we have ever. Revival is a, is a buzzword, big thing right now. Right? And revival is something that we, we should desire. But revival, ultimately, it just, it means to restore to life. To restore to life. So I want you to think about maybe you had a marriage that just felt dead. Right? Um, it was weak. It was broken. Bad place. Maybe due to just time, right? You just grew apart. Maybe due to some bad decisions on one side or both sides, right? Uh, maybe you have a career. It's just kind of flatlined. You had a desire to go and to, and to be something, to work your way up, to become something great, and it just kind of stagnated, right? Maybe you have relationships with your kids, or you did have, and now not so much. Because you're just growing apart. You made decisions. They made decisions. This is not a very good relationship now. Or parents, vice versa. How do you revive something like that? How do you revive a broken, dead, weak relationship, career, whatever? By putting that thing first. It's what you have to do. Right? 
Um, if you want, if you have a marriage that is weak, that's falling apart, it's at the threads and about just to come unraveled, and and you you want to you want to see it succeed, then what do you do? You, you put it first, right? You find certain things in your life that are unnecessary, and you take that time and you invest it in your marriage, right? You start talking to your spouse more, and you start doing more for your spouse. You start showing love to them more. You put that marriage, you put that relationship, you put that person first. If you have a career that's kind of stagnated and you really just want to jumpstart it, what do you do? You're going to spend more time with it. You're going to put that first. You're going to take other things, maybe hobbies, things that you like to spend time with. And you're going to take that time and you're going to invest it in that career to get it going. So if we want to experience revival of God, of a spiritual aspect, then what does that entail? It means that we have to put God first. We have to put God first. We have to put Him above anything and everything that we come into contact with. Revival comes from putting God first, not just once, not just sometimes, but according to Luke 9, 23, and it says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. I guess we see where James got this chapter that he's writing from. Deny himself and take up his cross what? Daily. And follow me. Revival comes from putting God first daily. Daily. To continue to prioritize, elevate what is of God and putting it first above anything. Now listen. Jellicoe Monument Company and Cox's Sun Funeral Home has sponsored this service. Okay. I thought that was <laughs> calendar right okay it's on january i ain't gonna mess with it if you want one in march you can tear the first two pages out and there at the back table calendar some of us with our christian walk are like this gilbert give me a number between 1 and 31 12 12 all right Megan, give me a number between 1 and 31, not excluding 12. 15. 15. Oh, we're bunching it up there. Okay. Um, Chris, give me a number. You know the deal. Three. Three. Okay, that's a good one. All right. Well, if I can circle it. All right. Who else wants to give me a number? Seven. Seven. Okay, you two. Back the, what was that? Six. Six and... 30, okay, there we go. We're going to close it out good. Okay. Some of us view our relationship with God like this. We pull random numbers out of the hat between 1 and 31. 1 and 28 for February, except on leap year. And there's some months with 30. We're not going to go off through that. You probably know that. Um, they, they go like the, they, they get their calendar on their phone. They're like, okay, this day, this day. I'm, I'm free on this day, and this day, and this day. And we choose out random days, and we're like, okay, I'll take up my cross on those days. And the other days, I'm just <laughs> The other days, I've already booked up. I'm sorry. The other days, I've already got something on my schedule. Can you, can you come back later? These days, I'm free, but the, day, the other days, well, I'm, I'm sorry, 
because other things are going on in my life and they take priority, they come first. That comes first. I come first. Me comes first. You come first. So we circle our days. Sometimes it's Sunday. Sometimes it's Wednesday. Sometimes it's just whenever we get the ability to. And like, those are the days that I'll take up my cross. Those are the days that I'll deny myself. Those are the days that I'll put God first. But the other days, well, those other days are for me. Those other days are for my wants and my desires. And yeah, I'll fight and I'll war and I'll kill and I'll hurt on those other days, but I'll take up the cross on the days that I've checked off for you, Lord. I'll carry that cross the days that I can, Lord, but all the other days are mine. For some, it's Christmas and Easter like we talked about. For some, it's all Sundays. For some, it's every other Sunday. For some, it's Wednesdays. For some, it's random days. For some, it's just whenever you can fit into your calendar. But that's not what he tells us to do. He says, choose the cross daily. 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 Say it. Daily. 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 If you had a multiple choice quiz in front of you, and you had it monthly, or yearly, or bi-yearly, or every now and then, or week, or daily, you should choose daily. Because that's what the book tells us. The answer's in the book. Did you know that? There's some people and students that I went to school with that, that blew their mind. The fact that the answers to the question were in the book. They were assigned to read. Oh, go figure. The answer was always there. Some of us are going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to be like, what happened to the daily? We're going to be like, it was in there? It was in there all along. He's going to be like, that's why I gave it to you. That's why I signed it. That's why I left it. That's why I inspired it. That's why I delivered it to you and preserved it to you through generation and generation so you would know, choose the cross daily. Not just every now. Not just when it suits you. Not just when it works out. Not just when it's okay. And there's time in your schedule. But daily. Daily. Hunter, come here. Hand these out. This I told you. The answer's right there. I'll just get it. Okay, hand those out. One to everybody. Young and old, men and women, nice and ugly and, you know, mean, whatever, whoever. Just give it to everybody. <coughs> Everyone wants revival. Right? When you go on Facebook, we do. I mean, I've seen people who had no earthly idea who what Asbury was before the year. Post about Asbury. Right? I mean, I've known about Asbury for se- several years. I mean, uh, got friends, like I said, got friends that go there. Some people didn't know Wilmore, Kentucky was a thing. Wilmore, Kentucky is smaller than Jellicoe, I think. I mean, it's just a tiny place. And I, people in our church and our community sharing and talking about revival at Asbury. We all want revival. I want revival, man. I do. 
I want to see revival come. I want to see revival move. And revival is just not about seeing lost saved. Revival is about the church being reawakened, reinvigorated, brought back to life, a sleeping giant being awakened. I want to see that. Yeah. But do we want it enough to put God first? Where is He first? Evaluate your life today with, with that question. Where is he first? Kneeling before a royal or some entity of great power and influence has been a, a custom and a tradition for hundreds of years now, right? It's a way to show honor and respect and reverence. But it's also a statement of submission. Saying whatever you want... I will prioritize it above my own self. Whatever you ask of me, that comes first. I don't care if I'm not ate. I don't care if I'm not slept. I don't care if it's been a bad day, a bad week, a bad year, a bad life. What you ask comes first. I submit to you. That's what the scripture said in verse 6. Submit to God. Submit yourself to God. That's what it means when you kneel. It's a, a sign of submission that you are submitting. And whatever that entity, power, whatever, asks of you, you put first. When we knelt, knelt at an altar or at home, I was saved at home in the kitchen floor. I still remember the color of the rug I knelt on. It was one of those weird multicolored things you probably got from Dollar General or someplace, right? Looking back, it probably wasn't ugly, but during that time, it was a beautiful thing for me, right? You know, because I was getting saved, hallelujah, and that rug just constantly was. Um, but we knelt. Or we, in some way, faster form, we talked and called out to Jesus. And by doing that, what we were saying was, I submit to you. I submit to you. What you say, what you ask. How you direct, how you instruct, you come first. You come first. Hunter handed out these papers. And there's five lines, one question, four answers. Okay? Well, those four groups time, career, relationships, and money. What I'm asking you to do is look at those four. And you don't have to answer now. <clears throat> you don't have to put your name on it. No points for spelling. And I want you to look at each one. And at some point today, this week, at some point by next Sunday, circle the ones that he comes first in. Circle the ones that he comes first in. Not where he should come first. Because what Luke said daily, I mean, you know, everything. Deny myself and carry the cross daily. So not where he should come first. Because then we circle all the above, right? That's usually all the above. Good, good choice. No. Circle the ones that he does come first in. How do you know if God comes first in something. 
If God comes first in something, let's say time, if you're putting God first in your time, <clears throat> then when time is asked of you to do something for God, you're willing to do it. When you have free time, right? I'm not saying you're canceling doctor's appointments and you're, you know, destroying relationships with your spouse and your kids. But when, when you've got time and something's asked of you, of the Spirit, you know, Scripture tells us something to do. We're compelled to talk to somebody about God or about Christ, about church, to invite somebody. Or, or we're compelled to, to serve in some capacity in our church or in the community or surrounding areas. And we have the time to do it. If God comes first in our time... We do it. If God comes first in our career, when we come to decisions about our career, the first question we ask isn't, how much money will I make? Or, do I want to do this? It's, what does God want me to do? Would God want this for me? Would God desire this decision for me? Would God desire this career path for me? When it comes to your relationships, it's not, will I enjoy this relationship? Is this... A relationship I, I will have fun with or have a good time with. No, it's saying, God, do you want me to build a relationship with this person? Is this somebody you want me to be around? Is this somebody you want me to spend time with? Is this somebody you want me to pour into or to allow to pour into me? That's what it looks like when we put God first in our relationships. Or with our money. Instead of saying, what do I want to do with my money? Or instead of looking at everything and then we give the little scrapings at the bottom of the barrel that we have when we can, it's saying, Lord, this is mine, but it's not just mine, it's yours. It's all yours. And it's saying, what would you have me to do with it? Where would you have me to give it? How much would you have me to give? How much would you have me to share? How would you like me to use this? Those are the questions that reveal whether God is first. Whether God comes first in those areas of life. And you might say, well, there's other areas. Yeah, there's other areas, right? I mean, but those four encompass a lot. Encompass the majority of our lives. And I think we talked about at the end of the year, maybe the first of the year, to choose one. Like, we see that we're lacking in some areas, to choose one. So look at that this week. Evaluate yourself. And answer those questions honestly. You don't have to give it back to me. You don't have to show it to nobody. But answer those questions honestly. If you circle all four, I applaud you. That's awesome. That's wonderful. I'm not saying people can't. It can happen. But I know in my life they're not a circle, right? If you circled three, great. Work on the other one. If you circle two, great. Still got room to grow. You circle one, cool. You've got choices. You get to choose where you, what you work on next, right? You circle none, okay. We've got work to do. But we should aspire to circle all of those and say God is first in everything. God is first in my time. God is first in my career. God comes first in my relationships. God comes first with my money. God is first. Because when God is first, God leads to revival, to renewal, to reawakening, to strengthening. What did he say? He said, I'll draw nigh to you. I will lift you up. But that only happens when we put God first. We put God first. Where 
is he first in your life? How many days of the week is he first in your life? How often is he first in your life? Is he ever first in your life? He needs to be. He's supposed to be. He should be first in our lives. In every area and aspect of our lives. Amen. Look at James as he is speaking to believers. He listens to what Jesus said in Luke and other places. And then he goes and he delivers that same message in, in different variations to these people. Basically saying, hey, I had to learn this. It's time for you to learn it. Hey, I had to make adjustments. It's time for you to make those adjustments. Hey, I had to make some changes in my life to be who God wanted me to be, to put him first. It's time for you to make those changes too. That's what he's telling us. It's time to make the changes. To do things differently. To put him first. With all number of options in the world around us that we can prioritize and put first. And there seems to be creating more and more daily. Make God first. Put Him first. Above everything. And when you do, I'm not saying you're going to experience great healing. I'm not going to say that you're going to get great wealth. I'm not going to say that everything's going to work out fine and dandy. You will experience revival though. You will experience spiritual revival and renewal and growth and strength. When you put God first. That's the only way you can have revival. As a pastor, I said, it's like, how do you, how do, how do you, 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 sometimes think, how do you make revival, right? How, can you, how do you get revival started? You do it by putting God first. In your life, in your family's lives, in our church, in our community, we put, have to put God first. And man,